Bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. Don't use the same clip as before. I've got time to research clips, mate. We're on the clock here. They might wake up. Um, maybe some dialogue from the start of Skyrim. What about this? If you ever settle down to have children, think twice before you do it. Yeah, very funny. Oh, I swear down that was an accident. What about this one? Yeah, all right, all right, that'll do. Come on. I heard tell a putrid story once. Ach, not another festering yarn. I've heard enough of your wittering to last a lifetime. Hear me out, we all gotta get off this car eventually. You'll miss me when I'm gone. Pfft, believe it when I see it. Concerns two people with a special bond. Ach, not a romance. Romance is dead. It was more platonic than that. They're siblings then, twin brothers, say. In a way, they overcame trials and tribulations, stuck together through thick and thin. What a pair of legends. Rode together, died together. Oh, bad boys too. No, not especially. Heroes of might and magic, if anything. Would you believe they commanded a million or more followers? I wouldn't know. I've seen the Substack analytics. Give or take, I mean. I suppose every dog has its day. That may be, but a cat only has nine lives. Ah, but when the cat's away, the mice do play. Yeah, well, that's enough of that. These mice have been and played, and now they're bailing on the voyage, fleeing like rats from a sinking ship, heading back to their miserable little rat race. Whoa, easy there, that got done quickly. So I suppose the best laid plans of mice and men. Rats, they were infectious. Well, the laughter, sure, but not literally. They killed all that stood in their way. I must have missed that episode. But they managed to make some lifelong friends. <laughs> there was that one friend of the show, some brain box. Do you remember him, but really only featured once, right? Oh, we did actually ask him twice. <laughs> Busy man. And do you remember Hat Money Man? What a character. A friend in need is a friend indeed. Right, well now you're just mouthing platitudes, you prick. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we've got our tails in a twist and it really is time to wrap it up, you know. Could be that we do. How does your story end? Mine's still unwritten. More of a spoken word thing? An existential crisis? Sort of, like a disease... That's already passed down. Don't start. Let's just say our heroes met an untimely end. Should we uh, say a few words in uh, tribute? Hell yeah, we should. (laughs) Bravo! Alistair Wold! Bravo! Not like that. Sorry, just I love that film. In prayer. Of course, of course. And repeat after me. I'm not Ben, I'm Teo. And I'm not Teo, I'm Ben. And this is... Pixel Vision! Fuck, they're awake, they're awake! That was an epic intro. We've been recording for like two hours already. (laughs) Yeah, we basically have half an hour. 
Ah, oh, so I suppose we should address the elephant in the room, shouldn't we, Teo? You want to address it straight up? Well, I mean, it's kind of in the way. I can't see you. Oh. Whee! See what I did there? Well, yeah, it's a sombre occasion, isn't it? In many ways. Well, it's a mixed. It's sombre in some ways and it's upbeat in others. Mm. Sombre because 50 is a big old number. It is. And we already had to stretch the release window from three weeks to three months. <laughs> And I'm not sure that I'm going to have the time and the, possibly the inclination, if I'm totally honest, mm. to be putting these episodes out as regularly as we have been. So, yeah, you know, this might be this might be the last one. Yeah, might very well be the last episode of Pixel Vision for now. We're going to say for now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Never say never, obviously. Mm. Which is our way of saying, stay sub to the feed just in case we put out <laughs> any new content down the line. But yeah, the reason for this is, got twins, got twin boys. Yeah. Teo's <laughs> so like, yeah, he does, he does. <laughs> I haven't got anything. <laughs> just see the tears running down his cheeks. He does. Yeah, I think either way, twins or without twins, it was probably time for a break from it, wasn't it? It was. Because it is, it is intense, the schedule. The podcasting schedule. Mm. It is. It's weird because I think a lot of people would be like, every three weeks is not intense. But it is when you've got mm. to play like minimum 20 hours of a game. The recording, the edit takes even longer. You know, there's a lot to factor in. Research that goes into these episodes, <laughs> that's more time than we spend playing the game, you know? Yeah. You guys don't see it, but we're basically writing essays to each other about the game beforehand. And... <laughs> references everything yeah full time it's a full time job mm. yeah it just wasn't very sustainable especially you know our listenership was was very strong but just not quite strong enough to sustain both of us making a living out of it yeah maybe if we were both earning a like sizable passive income from from the subs then we might feel differently yeah so in a way, it's your fault, listeners, because if you just fucking coughed up when we asked you to, you little bitches, <laughs> we'd still be going. It's already hard enough just for us to make peace. With money, you just ain't the messiah. It's already hard enough, trust me, nothing ain't free. The women bring you what you desire. Money should never make the man, man should make the money. Your money should be saving it wiser. Only you need to understand if it don't pay me. Joking, uh, joking. Don't yeah. don't you out. No. Come on, it's the last one. Stick it out. It was always a passion project. And I think every passion ends eventually. Oh, that is really bleak. I don't think every passion ends. I'm still passionate about gaming. I'm still passionate about podcasting. I'm still passionate about you, Teo. Oh, so. It's just sad that, you know, realistically, we've got to balance podcasting with life mm. and gaming with life i'll tell you what admission number one of the podcast i've already sold my playstation 5 since having twins whoa that's quick i know i know there just isn't time for it there literally isn't time for it i tried to play a game i downloaded oh shit what was it dying light 2 mm. you know and this isn't a podcast about dying light 2 but if you're in the market for a zombie game it's quite fun i enjoyed it 
what I played of it. But I did. I wasn't playing enough of it to justify keeping a PlayStation Five. And every time I played it, I felt guilty because really, you know, I had two human beings that I was responsible for <laughs> that I was not being responsible for when I had a controller in my hands. So, yeah, I don't know. You just gotta. I think I'll tap out for a bit mm. and. Maybe we'll play some other games, get some more worldly references, because we were running dry, weren't we? We were, yeah, we were. You especially, I mean, I really noticed it with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I felt it. I felt like my frame of reference was like only games that we played on the podcast and the games before that, which seemed like ancient history now. Mm. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice to play a few more, a few more things independently. Have you played any more? Because that's the other thing is that forgetting the twins for a second and i'm not sure if because we knew this was maybe going to be the final episode there was a reluctance from each of us to sort of like work towards it in a way because it felt like a sort of sad milestone to reach but also like before we even got to the twins i was nagging taylor like are you playing this damn game or what because it was taking ages Mm. and then i put out that mocking episode 49 and three quarters and then afterwards you finished the game and i didn't have time to do the intro and make edits and ah sad time but what i was thinking is if we're each playing games around the edge now i say each Mm. i've already said i might not be but if we manage to squeeze in any here and there Mm. we could still potentially put stuff on the sub stack couldn't we yeah for sure i always wanted to to write more anyway so maybe I'll, i'll make time for that yeah and I realised I asked you a question, didn't let you answer it, about whether you'd played any other games since this one. And the answer is no. This is it, this is it, you see. I've compiled myself a little list of games. I haven't actually clicked on any of them yet. Have you? Oh, let's hear your little list, because we're not going to be playing them. So maybe listeners will be like, oh, I'm desperate to keep up with Teo's gaming schedule. What's next? <laughs> So we've got Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, uh, Bloodborne, and uh, Elden Ring. Fuck me, that sounds like an absolute hellscape. That was, that was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. I mean, I don't even know anything about them. Dredge, Planet of Lana, Bale of Dust... Pentiment, I think you recommended that one actually. Returnal, Birth. They all sound a bit indie, don't they? Birth. Yeah. Trust me, that's no game. <laughs> <laughs> Pentiment, yeah, I think looks really fun. That's definitely on my list as well. The only two that are for sure on my list at the minute is, sorry, R. Let's not forget grammar. Baba is you, which a listener recommended, mm-hmm. and Sable which a separate listener recommended, but looks really good. Mm, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to play that as well. Well, that one, super gushing review from them. They said it had re-inspired their love of gaming. Wow. And uh, they preferred it to Breath of the Wild, which I was like, wow, that is pretty... Oh, s- Sable? Yeah, Whoa. pretty lofty praise, right? Well, I mean, that's unbelievable praise. So definitely keen to play that when I eventually get a minute. But it won't be on a PlayStation 5. Hmm. Well, I think we've buried the lead long enough here, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> what 
even is the lead. It's it's been three weeks, then three months, then probably three hours at the start of the podcast, and now finally yeah. we're getting round to talking about a plague tale requiem. We are. What did you think? I was kind of hoping you were going to give me what you thought first, because I've played the first one and you'd never played the first one. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what I thought then. I started off playing it and I thought, "Mm, I'm not enjoying this very much. And what I especially wasn't enjoying was the acting and the dialogue in it. It's a narrative driven game, right? And I was like, if I've got to put up with 20 hours of this dialogue, (laughs) I think think we might be in trouble here for the last episode. And it's kind of set in France. So I I was like, maybe I'll enjoy it more if I just put it into French. (laughs) I put it into French and I was like, no, 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 I can't do that. Put, put, Put it back to English. But then it ended up really really winning me over i don't know what happened somewhere like the six hour mark i just started to love it and then from then on i was sold and i enjoyed every session of playing it interesting i would say that's an inverse response to the game really to my own yeah so i started it and i was quite hyped because i'd played the first one plague tale innocence and i knew kind of what to expect And I remembered really enjoying that. Like, I never thought it was a spectacular game, but I thought it was really good fun when I played the first one. Mm. And so I came to this being like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see it, especially because it's got a really glowing reception, like so many Game of the Year award nominations and stuff like this. Mm. And so I thought, oh, yeah, this is it. They've basically polished what they had before, and this is going to be so much better. And I started, and the graphics are so good, aren't they? Like, it is dazzlingly good looking as a game yeah yeah and so i was like oh my god yeah i'm gonna really enjoy this and then just with each passing hour my soul died a little more and by the end i was like i fucking i cannot wait to be done with this game and by the time it ended i was like that's shit it's shit i hated it uh so yeah we'll get a mixed we'll definitely get a mixed reaction here wow okay (laughs) And I wonder if it's just because I have played the first one that I feel like maybe it didn't innovate enough or it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't fresh enough. Whereas you hadn't, so for you, it kind of, the story like fleshed out and well, I mean, we'll find out. But do you want to give us your Taya monologue and, you know, listeners can kind of be like, all right. Yeah. The game, as we said, is Plague Tale Requiem sequel to a plague tale innocence it's a third person narrative kind of action adventure game very much in the style of last of us 2 last of us 1 and 2 i guess so much so that i thought this is just the last of us but in medieval times you play mostly as amicia who is the sister of this little boy hugo basically he's got something called the macula which I certainly wasn't sure at the beginning what this disease was. What I was sure of is that it involved a hell of a lot of rats. (laughs) So there is a lot of rats in this game. You're kind of not sure if they're following you or Hugo is like the cause of them. But yeah, that kind of thing becomes clear as you move through the game. Mechanics wise, you're sneaking around guards, you're throwing your slingshot at them, well, slinging stones at them with your slingshot. Kind of lets you be either sneaky or aggressive or whatever as you're moving through these environments. Basically just trying to protect your brother and cure the disease. Is that a fair summary? That is a fair summary, but the problem is that that's also a fair summary of the first game. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Almost identically. To the point where I was like, they're surely not just going to use the same storyline 
more or less verbatim <laughs> as the first game. And then they just straight up did. Oh, really? More or less right up until the end where, you know, shit happens that we probably will spoil but won't yet. Yeah, but we might as well talk about the start of the game. You do kind of get the impression that in the first game, or I did anyway, that they were searching for the cure, like you said, and they were kind of let down by this organisation. Oh, I forgot what they're called now. The Order. Magisters, is it? Yeah, the Order. Yeah, and like the Magister is the person that you find that you think is going to help you. So yeah, I guess if you were let down in the first game, you do continue to be let down <laughs> in this game as well. Like again and again and again. But I mean, it's pretty clear that the Order aren't so great <laughs> to begin with. And you basically meet up with this absolute asshole who's like trying to experiment on Hugo and... Amicia's like, nah, stop it. You must accept your brother's fate and your own. And the fate of a protector is to do as the order commands. I don't give a damn about your order. I don't know you. I don't work for you. Let me see him. But I mean, that, this is all contained in the first, like, four or five hours of the game. Yeah. So it's not really a spoiler. That's the bit you didn't like. I didn't like it because I, I guess I just got used to the dialogue. But initially, I just thought the dialogue was so wooden. And I was like, really, am I ever going to care about these characters? But then at some point, I guess I just stopped noticing that. Maybe that's what happens if you watch, like, a soap opera or something. Yeah, I think it's related to the fact that... (laughs) And again, this is a weird difference between the first game and the second one. Because in the first game, they're a French family, right? She's Amicia Darun and her little brother Hugo. And in the first game, they all have French accents. They speak like the French people, you know. Really? But, yeah, I mean, better than that, obviously. But they have a faint French accent throughout (laughs) that's quite winning, in a way. I'm sorry... I'm sick. No, no, no. Listen, we are going to find a way to cure you. And there's Lucas and Melly now, you know? Lucas, come see the butterflies. Looks like someone's having a good time. <laughs> Whereas in this game, they sound like fucking Prince William's children. Genuinely, they're so well-spoken and posh. And it just sounds... Yeah, really posh. I think they do that to make them sound precocious. And also, I guess, to indicate that they are from a sort of wealthy family, which they were. But it just makes it seem really unnatural dialogue. You just think, kids don't talk like this? Yeah. Yeah, maybe I just got used to it then. But I think after spending time with them... I don't know. So the hook of the game is that you're protecting Hugo, isn't it? All the time. Like, Amicia is kind of what's called... I guess it's like a legend of, like, the protector of the person who's the carrier, who's the person that has the disease. So the carrier is Hugo and Amicia is his protector. So all the way through, it's like they have this special bond which even Hugo's mum can't understand. Sort of like the US-UK special relationship. (laughs) Yeah, which at times is a little bit... It's a little bit ridiculous. Like, there's one point in the game where you're on a boat and the boat's floating away and you've just gone and done something on land and and Amita and Hugo are there and it's sort of like the last opportunity to jump back on the boat and you don't take it because you want to take a different path. (laughs) And Hugo's mum's like, come on, get on the boat, get on the boat. And she just like watches you, watches the boat float away and it's like, you can jump in the water, you know, like that is your son. (laughs) Like you can't, your your only choice isn't just to float away on the boat and like watch your two children stay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, at times I thought it was a little bit stretched. But yeah, I don't know. Did, did you find like their relationship compelling at all? 
Because I know that The Last of Us, you definitely did. Yeah, but obviously it really wants to be The Last of Us. I also think it really wants to be God of War. The relationship between Kratos and Boy is not the same because that's a lot less sort of warm and loving than it is in this. Like in this, Amicia tries at least to be really nurturing towards Hugo, mm. which clearly isn't the case in God of War. But in terms of the the sort of prop character who's a little bit inept and useless versus like the warrior of the relationship that dynamic is still very Mm. very prevalent yeah it's not that i don't find it believable i do kind of find it believable that an older sister would be super protective it's nowhere near as convincing and compelling as the last of us like not even a fraction Mm. everything that made that game great is basically not in this game i don't think I wasn't convinced by the dialogue, by the relationship. I don't think their relationship changes. And one of the really frustrating things about their relationship, in fact, is that she tries to do this, like, I just want to protect his innocence. Like, I want him to be a little boy. Like, he shouldn't be killing people. That's bad. He shouldn't be, like, controlling the rats to do bad things. But that message is fucking contradictory the whole way through the game. One second, she's like, Hugo, that's wrong. That's bad. Don't do that. You should never kill by yourself. Hugo! You don't kill people just like that! Why? You do it all the time! Because... And I can kill quicker than you! You don't attack people by yourself! You listen to me and do as I say! Is that clear? I don't care! They're all dead now anyway! And the next second she's like, Conjure the rats! I'll kill them all! And you're like, what? This doesn't make sense! You need more! You need more rats! Please! She's stuck! Take her down! Call more! Your blood. Let the rats eat them. What are you doing? We're making you pay. Keep going, Hugo. Oh, yes, come. Come to me. Give us your blood. Chill, Winston. Yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> so much of that that she comes across like a straight up psychopath, I thought. Yeah. And they're trying to give her this PTSD vibe from early on, but it doesn't work. She just comes across like an absolute nutter. She's unhinged. Mm. I felt uncomfortable playing her. Yeah, they do take that really far. So uh, another thing that happens towards the beginning is Amicia hates soldiers. So soldiers are your main enemy in the game. And she hates them. Like, I think at one point she says, they're just meat for the rats or something like that. Like, she hates soldiers. (laughs) That's the bottom line. So she's able to convince herself that it's fine to kill them. Nobody else really thinks that apart from her. So you see like Hugo and Lucas. Lucas is like a little apprentice kid that's traveling with your family. Apprentice alchemist. She's just happy to to kill soldiers with a slingshot. And they're like, you got to stop. Like, you got to stop. And this this really builds and builds and builds. More than happy. There's moments where she's literally like, I'll kill you all. Like, I'll make you pay. Come to my sling. I am death. And you're like, Jesus Christ, girl. Look, this is how it works now. I set the rules. Enough. The army's on us in our hands. No, it's in mine now. You're dead. You're gonna have dead. Yeah, yeah, that's the bit that it's building to. So that's really like the pinnacle of her like craziness, as as you put it. But then after that, she kind of calms down a bit. But then it's kind of forgotten. And again, you're allowed to like kill people, but without it being like an unhinged vibe. Because it never goes to that extent. Maybe right at the end, Mm. she gets a bit bloodlust again. I think she just has a like schizophrenic level of bloodlust throughout, to be honest. So I think it almost works, but... What I do think is that games like this, they want the player to have the fun of killing at the same time as having a story 
which can support it. And it's like, it doesn't, like, you, you can't really have that. Like, it doesn't really work. Like, there's no plausible world in which the player can have fun killing soldiers and the character can be, like, emotionally good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it can't support it. Yeah. The closest that a game comes to with that, I would say, is The Last of Us Part 2. The Last of Us Part 2 treads that line really carefully because there are fight scenes in that where while you're fighting, you're like, I wish I wasn't fighting. Really? Like, you genuinely are like, I don't want to press square to hit this person because, like, I really don't want to, but I have to. Mm. That's quite clever. That You never have that in this game. Yeah. In this game, it's all dialogue. And also, it's weird. You go to There's a moment in this game, you go to an island. It's meant to be this sort of little paradise, this little haven. And you get there, and everyone's really friendly. Everyone's super welcoming. You see the guards, and they're laughing and joking. And literally one of the lines of dialogue from Amicia is, everyone's so nice here. Even the guards are so nice here. Yeah. And at no point do the guards sound like they're villains, right, in this island. And then at a certain point, you have to start killing them. And suddenly, we had a different version of the intro before before we ran with that one. And it was just all the people speaking in gnarly voices. Because every guard, in order for you to feel like you can kill them happily, they all speak, oh yeah, they all speak like this. Uh, you, I'll find you, I'll have you. You come out and I'll kill you. You won't escape me. And you're like, what? They were all really nice a second mm. ago. And now they're like, burn them all. Kill them all. Like one of the guards, you literally help escape from rats. And he gets to the other side. And then suddenly he's a villain. Mm. Just after you've helped him escape. That was good work. We did it. I'm lucky you decided to break the law tonight. We should go now, no? Yes. We're in a hurry. Sure. I'll escort you back home. Actually, we must keep going that way. Impossible. You're going back home. Oh, come on. Let us go. We did our part. The law is the law. Let us pass, or you'll regret it. You're threatening a soldier of the army of Provence? I am. This is too important. Wait. Wait. In the outskirts, our men got attacked by a girl and a boy. You! You escaped! Amicia, you could blind him with a tar. I'll deliver justice myself. Say your prayers. Yeah. yeah, so that doesn't quite work, does it? That side of it. But what I did think worked was the relationships between the characters, and especially as the game went on. So a bit later on in the game, you meet two other characters, Arno or Arnold. I think he's from the first game, so I, I didn't quite know their history. Basically, he saves you at some point and nurses you back to health at the same time as looking after Hugo so that you can continue your journey. Do you remember if he was in the first game? I don't remember him being... Because they seem to know who he is. But anyway, it seemed like you've got you've got a history anyway. And then also his smuggler friend, Sophia, who's kind of presented as being like a much more mature and like wise version of, of Amicia. So like she's got a really good heart, but you could tell that she's like killed people in the past, but at some point made a pact never to do that again and, and this kind of thing. And I thought when those two characters started to come in, things got a lot more interesting. So yeah, hard to talk about it too much without spoiling it. One of the funny things that I find here, just in terms of your reaction to it, Taya, mm. is that I know that in general, when playing a game, you don't like to feel like the game is putting you on rails or telling you what to do. Like I remember one of your complaints about Wilson was like, oh yeah, I enjoyed walking and clicking my mouse and then walking and clicking my mouse and then walking and clicking my mouse. Yeah, but that's because there's no story in Wilson at all. And in this game... <laughs> 
It's literally like that. Literally. Oh my God. Force walk. And to really to piss you off, it imposes force walk on you. I would say for a good third of the game. Like it's a massive chunk of the game. But while it's imposing force walk on you, the characters are going, let's pick up the pace. Come on. Let's pick up the pace. You're being so slow. Come on. Let's run ahead. Oh yeah. Let's get. And you're like, are you fucking joking me? I would love to run. I would love to run. I know I'm just walking from this wall to that wall and nothing's going to happen in between but you're making me walk oh my god that was so annoying they're like literally mocking you as the player did you not find that it was especially because even when there is a puzzle it's not a puzzle they don't let it be a puzzle instead you've got hugo saying oh that brazier up there looks like it's really weak alicia is that a ladder in the corner and you're like fucking let me find this shit you're taking all the gameplay elements away (laughs) yeah but i guess that's because my like Walson is a is not a good comparison because there's no story in Walson at all. Like all there is to do is click the button and like watch things happen. Whereas this, I I actually thought of it more as a walking simulator with some action elements, mm. <laughs> which maybe meant that I didn't get too. I I mean I did I did note down the forced walk, forced walk not so much, more the forced jog because there's like kind of three levels <laughs> of forced walking. You can either only walk only jog or be able to do your full run as well and so it was annoying when you could jog but not run it's like oh come on just give me the extra stage yeah but i got into the story and i'm guessing you didn't like it didn't quite click for you i think the things that didn't click for me was how contrived it seemed like another character that you think it becomes a key character right is the count so the whole way through, you're like trying to find the count. Well, not the whole way through, but a key moment, you're trying to find the count. And then you get there and the count, he welcomes you into his manor with his with his sort of young wife. <laughs> not weirdly young, but, you know, they're, they're a normal couple. <laughs> they welcome you into, <laughs> into their manor. They're not a normal couple. <laughs> no, okay, they're not a normal couple, but they welcome you into their manor. <laughs> And they seem like they're a nice guy. And they clearly, at a certain time, you find yourself spying on them and they're in this sort of inner courtyard. And there's the visuals are really beautiful. There's like butterflies flying around and Mm. plants swaying in the breeze and stuff. And they're having this heart-to-heart near a fountain. And he's clearly totally enamoured with her. Mm -hmm. And their love is what I felt, at least, in game terms, was sincere. Mm -hmm. And you thought, yeah, like, this is a couple who really love each other and like that's his driving motive Mm -hmm. oh yeah for sure and the game wants you to believe that but then there's a certain point where he's like oh actually okay spoiler alert a certain point where he's like oh actually i've got to kill you but rather than just being like ah you know i am a good guy but i've got to kill you i'm really sorry about that and then killing you he fucking becomes super villain man and he starts taunting you and chasing you through this dungeon downstairs and like provoking you and like he goes full-blown psycho in a similar way to Amicia but on the flip side I guess and you're like what why is this necessary a minute ago he's like I wish I didn't have to do these things I wish I didn't have to be this person and then as soon as he does have to be he's like well I may as well have fucking fun doing it I tried to be patient no no you won't get him And you will die like a dog. I don't know. I think that's a bit unfair to the setup that the game... Because, I mean, you're describing... I mean, we're in spoiler territory now, everyone. Yeah. Because that's, like, really near to the end of the game. And the reason that happens is because... So Hugo is the carrier, right? And they've 
built up on the island, the Count and his wife and everyone on there, it's kind of like a cult that they built up this whole mythology around the carrier. And they basically don't think of the carrier as a bad thing. They think of him as someone who's going to come and be like part of their salvation in some way, sort of Christ-like figure. And basically, yeah, the Count absolutely adores his wife. She's a bit fucked up and like can't have children or whatever. That's not what makes her fucked up, to be clear. (laughs) That sounds really harsh. No, what was it that made her fucked up? I can't remember... I think there was something else going on in her past as well. Her bloody parents broke her mind until she tried to take her own life. Poisoned her own body. So I brought her here, offered her this child of Ember's story. And not only did she believe it, she turned it into hope for the people. That's his motivation, right? Like she's so invested in this story and he thinks she can't be happy unless I follow through with the story. Amicia, you're a barrier to her fulfilling this goal. And so that's why I'm going to kill you. And in the context of the world... Yeah, which by itself would make sense. Now explain why he decides to play fucking hide and seek with her in a dungeon. (laughs) He he doesn't. He's just really inept at killing you. (laughs) (laughs) No, he does. I'm sorry, he does. He's literally like... He's really getting kicks out of it. He's walking around like, oh, you can hide. At one point, they fight in a ring and she's like, obviously shit. She can barely hold the sword and swing it. And he's just playing with her. He's just like slapping her on the side. He's like, pick it up again. Try again. He's like full on taunting her. Mm. And you're like, wait, I thought I thought this was just like a function that you had to do. Like she was a barrier, fine. So you have to kill her, fine. But why are you getting such kicks out of it in front of the woman that you love who's like really not down with it from what we can see <laughs> such dedication <laughs> steady your stance stand your ground grip that sword properly you're a disgrace to it she's not there for most of that and for most of the time his wife is really like a a check on his more sadistic behavior i think so she's always like calm down and then she's always like sorry about my husband he's he's seen too much war like this kind of thing it's only right at the end that it's in front of her but you're right they do have that final battle <laughs> you see you kneel just fine no! no please stop please stop from one mother to another enough games victor By the way, I've just realised that I think why I think you think that Arno was in the first game. Hmm. You do realise that Arno is the commander from the start of the guards who is like trying to kill you. And then he's just not wearing his helmet in the rest of the game. That's what I thought, but they have different names for him. Like they call him the wall, right? Because of his shield. Yeah. But the commander at the start of the game, they call him like the beast. (laughs) So I was like, well, it can't be the same person because they literally have like a different name, like a different nickname for him. That is a good point. But I think, do they call him the wall or is it just the kids call him the wall? Because he calls his shield the wall. No, he's definitely like seems to be known as the wall. And also he hates the Count. Like his, his whole mission is to kill the Count because the Count killed his wife or something like this. He's got good history, the Count, clearly. And so why it didn't make any sense that he'd be working for the Count in like the first act of the game yeah that is a good point that is a really good point but that's who i understood him to be is the guy wearing the helmet at the start who's like heading up a squadron and is chasing you and who is this arno he's a big problem you have now we must leave so here's the famous girl with the sling 
it seems you're pretty versatile when it comes to killing my men. And then they actually find you, and again, he does his, like, slow prodding with his dragon, his sword around to kill Amicia while she just runs around, nimble and lithe, mm. over logs and through gully. <laughs> At a certain point, he manages to find her, and I think he, like, punches her in the face or something, doesn't he? Or stabs her, or he does something anyway that is, like, pretty full-on that mm. she doesn't like. So we're done playing. I'll give you a game. Yes. <gasps> <gasps> And then the next time you meet him, he's not got his helmet on and he's like, I left because they've turned against us or something like that. Or I was an outlier and they were tying up loose ends. Or I can't remember the justification they give. This is the problem with, with waiting three months before reviewing the game. The Count's army is at war with us. The scum of Provence. Most of my men, my friends, have been killed or ran away. It's just a matter of time before they get me. So you're running away? Yes. The noose is tight already, but you have something I don't. Rats. Suffice to say, I was pretty convinced at the point of playing it that he was the guy who had been trying to kill you moments Mm. earlier in the game and then turns out to have, you know, Mm. justifications of his own. I could easily have got that wrong. Because you're right, like, I think both things sort of could make sense. Yeah. And I guess that's why I thought he was from the first game, is because I was like, well, he can't just have appeared out of nowhere. (laughs) I just thought he was like an old character that was reappearing, but clearly not. What did you think of the semi-open world? I don't even really want to call it that. I'll call it the permeable world. Because it's like, you can see everything, but you can only go on this very specific path. (laughs) You can climb under things and over things, but only if there are no invisible walls. Yeah. Like, the world seems eminently explorable at all points, but there's only really one section of the game which is a bit random, but it's like a big field that you can explore mm. openly. Yeah. I mean, it's not trying to be an open world game. Did I like the environments? Yeah. Like I said, like from the walking simulator perspective, I thought they were, they were very pretty. There's like collectibles in the game, so you can find flowers and feathers for Hugo. There's also souvenirs where, I don't know why they call them souvenirs, given the example I'm about to give, but like you might find someone who's about to die and hear their last words and then that'll give you a little collectible yeah force echoes style Mm, exactly yeah so there are things to find in the environment but yeah i mean you are on rails for sure and i think that's another example of where i can see how like they could be construed as additional story elements or Mm. something but they're more framed in the game in a way that you just described them as kind of like collectibles and i don't really like that because Whereas, for instance, since we've drawn the comparison with The Last of Us, when you're working through The Last of Us, you'll encounter something through the natural course of the game and it'll prompt a little dialogue exchange between Ellie and Joel. Mm -hmm. So, is everything you were hoping for? It's got its ups and downs. can't deny the view though often it's moving and affecting and relevant to the story or adds backstory or whatever 
and it feels like a narrative driver, like it pushes the story forward. Mm. And this, they were kind of tucked away, those little conversations, sort of hidden. You'd have to fully explore the area and then you'd find something that you could interact with. And then there'd be like two seconds of bland dialogue that didn't compel you at all. A grave, right next to a house. They wanted to keep their dead close. I can understand that. We never buried father. He's home. And that peace, Amicia. You're right. Let's get back to it. It would say, you know, you've unlocked another of those things. And I was like, oh, what? that's weird. It's kind of like they're sort of putting it in the game because it's like another thing they could do. But it didn't really contribute to the game, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's another example of the, the game getting in the way of itself. And who knows? Like maybe if like all of those things were taken out, the crafting system, like really basic, the leveling system, really straightforward as well. The leveling system, there's three tracks. And depending on how you approach each environment or each encounter, you'll kind of, in a really opaque way, gain some points, I guess, towards that track and like unlock new abilities because of that. So if you're really sneaky, you'll get an ability, which like means you can walk faster while crouching, this sort of thing. Yeah. It's like a more nuanced version of the, if you jump a lot in Skyrim, you're good at acrobatics. Yeah, yeah. And the skills you, you get are like, they're, they're, they're fine. You know, there's only about 12 of them or something to unlock. And the same with the crafting, like you improve your equipment and this kind of thing. But I kind of just thought like, you could probably strip it all away and you, you, wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't lose very much. 100%. 100%. I totally agree. That frustrates me because mm. it's anytime the game makes you do something that I feel is making you jump through hoops, but then it's not giving you a reward for it. Like it's not justifying its existence. Mm. Then I'm like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> it's kind of detracting from the main gameplay. It's adding time, which mm. I hate being taken from me, as we all know very well. <laughs> and suddenly it's really like... is time to stop the podcast, everyone. <laughs> It's as you say, I think it's getting in the way of itself. Like if it's got a great narrative, then tell the narrative. Stop adding loads of pointless, like gamifying. Mm. Like, it's one step away from having fucking loot boxes. Mm. But it's interesting, like while I was playing it, I thought the same. And I wondered, why did this work in The Last of Us? I guess because just playing the game was more compelling in The Last of Us. Like Last of Us, do you remember, like it really felt like you had to scavenge to have enough ammo to like survive the next encounter quite often i mean maybe not eventually and different points happened more or less but you really like treasured every bullet i did anyway whereas in this like there's definitely none of that like we've always got more than enough to the extent that if there's like a particularly intense encounter where like loads of soldiers come and you've got no choice but to kill them all you get a crossbow at one point and to make it work like they just like regenerate the crossbow bolts that you can salvage (laughs) so the crossbow bolts will be like stuck in the walls you'll gather them use them and then come back and they'll just like reappeared and you can use them again because it wouldn't work like without that (laughs) the thing that they've decided to do yeah and that's before there's also a tier an unlockable tier within the skill tree that Terra mentioned where you can Mm. recover bolts that you fired like they don't break on impact at which point you've Mm. just got like an infinite number of crossbow bolts basically that actually incidentally is one of the only upgrades worth getting in my view the others are just didn't really add much to anything probably the reason i didn't get that is that you can't plan for the upgrades because you can only see the next one you can buy so say like the upgrade for the crossbow number four could be really good but you don't know what it is 
and the first one might be really shit so you just don't choose it mm. i think we should just put a pin in mechanics for a second because we haven't really talked about extinguish we haven't really talked about lucifer or whatever they call it <laughs> we haven't talked about tar no. and these are three core gameplay mechanics and we haven't we've talked about it for like a good chunk of time we barely mentioned fucking rats <laughs> yeah it's true because i mean w- when we're talking about like what is it like to play the game a big part of it is not killing soldiers it's passing through hordes of rats <laughs> yeah interestingly one of the few things like i've complimented the graphics several times and in fairness like i want to do it again because i don't want to undersell the achievements the game has got and i would say the music falls into that category as well like yeah, olivier yeah, great. Derivier or whatever his name is he's the guy who did greedfall which to my ears is a better piece of work but <laughs> so that's an aside um only only on the soundtrack front he's got his fingers <laughs> in some but yeah stale pies though that that composer <laughs> yeah maybe but i mean seriously i reckon he'll do some great work in the future as well because he's made a name for himself now with this and he is phenomenal But anyway, yeah, so he, like there are achievements in the game for sure. Rat swarms, not one of them to my mind. Uh, they don't really look any different than they did in the last game and they move in such a CGI artificial way that it's quite jokes. But they're still fun to navigate through. Mm. That's one of the few things, you know, I did find it. The reason I was able to play 20 plus hours of it is because it is compelling. Weirdly so, given that these are like really rote, tired mechanics like pulling levers and lifting up things mm-hmm. that have been around since tomb raider or something yeah because we should say so the rats hate light so you use fire to get yourself little like bits of safe ground to pass through like these swarms and the swarms of rats like i mean i hadn't played the first game i thought they're i mean you're right they're a bit silly there's too many rats but honestly there's like millions of millions of rats <laughs> yeah at times they explode cities yeah <laughs> yeah that's right at the end like this sort of, the city is like bulging with rats and just sort of explodes like the walls like falling down yeah. yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous at the end. It's like they basically used the motion from a tidal wave and then just <laughs> p- replaced the water with rats. It's probably what they did behind the scenes. But I don't know, I thought I thought it looked quite um, looked quite epic th- throughout the game. Oh yeah, it's epic. For sure. And, and they, they explode out the ground and like, say you're in a sort of sneak around the soldiers situation and then suddenly the rats will appear and like all the soldiers will be devoured by the rats and suddenly you're in a use fire to get around the rats situation those are the two situations <laughs> sneak soldiers fire for the rats yeah i mean it's true you like braziers you like torches if you're holding a torch you can only ever walk in the exact same animation through the rats really really slowly if you find wooden sticks they apparently work exactly like torches but burn down and hurt your hand if if you last too long you can never hold more than one stick at a time remember there's no stockpiling sticks (laughs) in this game you can stockpile all other things but only hold one stick you see these like little bundles of sticks and it's like shit i can only pick up one (laughs) and then i have to like 
gives me a little timer to walk over. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, what, how am I going to use this stick that's over here when I need to light it on that brazier over there? And just at the moment that crosses your mind, Lucas shouts, here, I'm over here. Throw me the stick. Amicia, I'm over here. Throw me the stick. And you're like, oh, I guess I better throw him the fucking stick. I need light here. There you go. Thank you. I'll try to join you. I'll need a stick to get across. Anyway, so then the other thing is you can put out, and this, to my mind, is more enjoyable. You can put out mm. torches, so you throw extinguish, and in much the same way as J.K. Rowling has named things from the Latin, so is yes. this game. So yeah, you, you put out, and also, while we're on the J.K. Rowling reference, Order of the Phoenix. It's literally called the Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> I reckon she's got a case there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. I hadn't made that connection, but it's, you know, it's true. Those in favour of conviction, those in favour of clearing the accused of all charges. Cleared of all charges? <laughs> yeah so extinguish you throw and it puts out existing lights which can be really cool when you want to drown a soldier in rats and once the rats swarm to eat the soldier then that clears a path for you as well mm. that's quite fun yeah i think this is one of the reasons why i started to enjoy it more as the game went on because the options that you have for dealing with the environments around you do increase once you've got the extinguish you get tar as well which makes a kind of like explosion if you put it on the fire you get something which lures the rats to it so you can like lure them into the where the soldiers are and this kind of thing just gives you a little bit more like hmm, how am i gonna approach this situation flexibility yeah which is which is nice and i wasn't like too sneaky or too aggressive i just i played quite a balanced game like a bit of sneaking bit of killing i know what this balance entails it entails starting to be stealthy and then getting spotted and being like fuck it i'll just kill everybody because that was my approach as well. <laughs> Um, I don't know. It, there would usually be like majority sneaking, but then there would be one part of the level where I just thought, there's no getting around it here. I'm going to have to get my sling out. Yeah. It does that classic thing where you th- you can throw a rock or something and they're like, huh, and an yeah, exclamation yeah. mark appears above their head, like in Dishonored, and then they sluggishly walk over. What was that? That noise. Right, let's go. Came from over there. I kind of think we've talked enough about how you relate to the environments from a gameplay perspective, right? Because it's not, I mean, it, this game is all about the story. And I guess it sounded like that didn't really quite hit for you, especially if it was just the same as the first game, which would make it like it wouldn't even have the novelty value that it did for me. I did genuinely get quite invested in in their struggle. And every time like, like they're looking for the cure, they don't find it. They just decide to like live the good life away from all of this worry. And then they get like pulled back in by the Count and his machinations. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. What did you make of the discovery they have about the history Mm. of the Justinian plague? Yeah, for sure. So they, they find out that they are part of this recurring mythology of the protector and the carrier but they actually find the remains of them as well. And in uncovering their story in this like hilariously deep crypt, they kind of discover more about themselves and like what they actually should do. 
rather than the kind of <laughs> gung-ho attitude of Amicia. Like, kill everyone in our path, that's how we'll solve this. They realise, actually, no, what we should have done is just kept to ourselves and not encouraged all this killing and stuff, which, yeah, sounds kind of obvious when you say it out loud. <laughs> It's quite funny, though, because they find the remains and it's literally a girl who's about her age called Alia and a boy mm. who's who's her brother and a bit younger called Basilicus. Yeah, yeah. It's history repeating. I remember seeing that and being like, oh, God. Yeah, and then you get more of that because at the very end of the game, and we still haven't said the core spoiler, but at the very end of the game, it kind of jumps forward temporally. Mm. Suddenly I was like, oh, this is going to be an Assassin's Creed style, like maybe now the third one will be set in the future or not the future but like closer to the present for us the future for them Mm. and i was like i'm not sure i'm down with this i think this will be me wrapping up the game once and for all wrapping up the franchise but wait there's two endings isn't there there's like the well it's one years later but just i mean you mentioned harry potter that's a good example of when that happens 10 years later in the last harry potter book so it, it does that and I just think it's really sad because as you're about to escape, so you're escaping on the ship. Wait, I was just talking about the post-credits scene. Yeah, you're talking about the post-credits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Not one year later. That's like vastly later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's the like preview, yeah, for the for the next game, isn't it? Yeah. But before that, like so much stuff happens. I would say this game goes on a little bit too long because there's so many points <laughs> when it could end, when it could end and it doesn't. Even that ended up ended up getting me in the end. <laughs> you're escaping on the ship and you're like, wow, we're safe now. Like, there's, there's no way. Like, we're on a ship. Nowhere safer than a ship. <laughs> but then the Count's ship follows you. This ship, like, overtakes you and, like, boards you. And did you, were you not like, ah! Yeah, he is literally obsessed. And at that point, he doesn't have any motivation other than revenge. Yeah. Which I suppose is, is a fairly big motivator for a lot of people in history. So that kind of works. Yeah. And he also decides to sort of conquer the world for some reason. He thinks he can use Hugo to, like, control the rats to, like, rule the world. Yes, because he's the classic story megalomaniac. (laughs) It's like they try to give him a justifiable reason, and just like all the villains, and then they're like, Ashley, do you know what? We just need to make him an arch-evil psycho that you can joyfully kill Mm. using your entire arsenal. But that's, for Hugo at that moment, that's really sad, because at that point he thinks Amicia has died. And so that makes him like give in completely to the rats. And so, but you obviously haven't. So you managed to try and like, the last part of the game is like trying to get to him in his super rat infested state. This this is worth touching on because the amount of damage your character takes is actually absurd. Oh yeah, <laughs> this is worth. I even text you at one point being like, I must be near the end of the game because my character can barely move. Nah, she just shrugs it off. <laughs> You stupid bastard, you've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look, just a flesh wound. What is it? She's been like speared, she's been slashed with a sword, knocked out, which gives her recurrent like dizzy spells. Yeah. There's loads of stuff going on with her. It's it's actually ridiculous how much she survives in this game. Yeah. There's one point where the little apprentice boy, Lucas, 
he's like, oh, it's going to hurt, but it's for the best. And so he like cracks your arm like back into place or whatever. That's as good as having a new arm. Yeah. <laughs> as all children can do. Yeah. yeah. Well, he is kind of like, you know, an alchemist or whatever. Yeah, alchemist? Not a fucking medical doctor. <laughs> Jeez Louise, he's also about 10. <laughs> uh, yeah, 13 maybe. The story of one determined father. Hey kids, come on, let's go to the panic room. two precocious children we have to protect ourselves or we'll die quick let's gather all our weapons rock hammer swiss army knife slingshot firecracker ship in a bottle protractor picture of edith piaf assault rifle little flag darn we should have left sooner it reminded me of um of leonardo dicaprio in the revenant where he's just getting destroyed getting fucked by the bear As that meme said, you know, she's like that. Just by the end, she's literally just crawling along. Or she ought to be, but in fact, she's she's fine. There are quite a lot of characters in the game, but it does that Game of Thrones thing where you can't get too close to a character because you're not sure if they're going to die or not. But it does it in (laughs) such a half-hearted way. So, for instance, the first alchemist that you meet, actually, to be fair, you don't want to be friends with him. But do you remember how how he's the one that's like experimenting on Hugo at the start? Do you remember how he dies? He sounds like Petrus. Yeah. He sounds like my child. Stephen Hartley is yeah, the voice actor. I don't think it is the same guy, but he sounds exactly like him. Do you remember how he dies? No, did he just get crushed? Or oh, yeah, basically, yeah. It's like if like full-on Wilhelm screams it, like down a collapsing building. So the rats have like infested the city and everything's collapsing. And it's so convenient. It's like you don't want him in the story anymore. And he's just like half the room collapses and he just goes like ah <laughs> down <laughs> into the rats and then you never see him again. Another person, the boat, the boatman. Do you remember him? Yeah. He seems like he's going to be some, maybe he's going to be a main character with you to the end. He just ends up getting like skewered by a ballista or something on his boat, and you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're talking about them as as like almost the fringe characters dying. But let's be honest, full time spoilers now. Your mother dies. Arno dies. Um, the count's wife dies. Yeah, yeah. The count dies. Yeah. If we're going to get to the very, very final moment... Yeah, that's good. That's what I was building up to, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Your little brother Hugo dies. Ergo, the entire purpose of the last two games made redundant in one second. Not only does he die, you kill him. Well, I think that's a choice, actually, isn't it? I think you can resist doing it. And in a different ending, Lucas does it. Really? Oh, that's quite cool. I think so. I, I might be wrong about that. I wonder how Lucas does it, because he hasn't got much. Maybe he throws one of his, like, petrol bombs at him or something. Yeah, I don't know either. No more brutal than how you do it. We said already your main weapon's a slingshot, and <laughs> why not? Why not kill him with the slingshot? Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> your brother, like, yeah, exactly, your brother. There's no, like, surely a more humane way. Surely. Exactly. Yeah. She just stands at a distance, tees it up. I like the idea that she misses the first couple of times. She's nervous. She just hits around his head. She's like, I'll get it in a minute. 
Oh my god, that frustrated the fuck out of me. I think it divided the internet as well. Did it? I'm not. I'm not surprised. But the actual, the actual moment. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was pretty, pretty heart wrenching. The fact that you could have saved him if you'd taken a different path, but instead you went more and more down this like dark rabbit hole. That in the end it was just irredeemable. He basically becomes consumed by the macula, like he's so, so distant you can barely communicate with him, and he's just like a ball of prepubescent rage. Yeah. Conjuring rats and tidal waves left, right, and centre, and destroying everything. So you have to kill him. Yeah. I think he knows it though, right? Doesn't he ask you to kill him? Yeah, no, no. He basically engineers it at the end because you're kind of in his like dream rat domain at the oh, end. God, I hated that dream world. Every direction you go in, it's like, this is the wrong direction. Yeah, the Lost Woods. We're back in the Lost Woods again. Yeah. And so then the game, the like the epilogue is one year later and you've buried Hugo and you're you're moving on. And Amicia's new kind of thing is to make sure that when the new carrier and protector are born, they don't repeat the mistakes that you did. So she wants to I don't know, like leave some clues behind, which are a bit less <laughs> confusing than the ones that she found from the last lot. Yeah. And then you get the credit scene, the post credit scene rather, also known as a stinger, I think, in film terms at least. Ah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereby you see a baby being born in what appears to be at least a semi-modern hospital, although whether it's super modern or whether it's like World War modern, who knows. But yeah, you see a macula on a newborn baby. A macula is like the sort of birthmark that depicts a carrier. Ah, mm. uh, I can definitely imagine them doing a sort of World War One, like rats in the trenches vibe, can't you? Yeah, with rifles and oil lamps and whatever else. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, don't think I'd play it to be honest. It would just be a reskinned version of the exact same game. <laughs> And you would make the same mistakes because that would be the whole point, right? That it's a cycle and you can't break the cycle. Not for me. Oh, wow. It it sounded like I actually ended up enjoying it a lot more than you did. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really glad you did, though. Genuinely, I'm really glad because you didn't play the first one, which was a super enjoyable experience. So I'm glad you at least had one enjoyable experience out of the franchise. One of our ideas for this episode was to replay Disco Elysium, which is the first game we did on the podcast. After playing this, do you wish we'd done that instead? No, I don't. For the same reasons that I gave at the time, which is like... There are just so many new experiences to be had. Like, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't mind replaying it. But for the 50th episode, I think I'd just be saying all the same stuff again, mm. to be honest. Do love Disco Elysium, though. I'm, what I'm glad is that we did... Um, what was the game we did last? Because <laughs> I remember it being story-based and really enjoying it with the mushrooms. With the mushrooms? Yeah, you're in space. Oh, oh is that was that our last game, Citizen Sleeper? Whoa, that seems like a long time ago. Surely there's one between then and now. Let me have a quick look. Oh, maybe it wasn't our last game. But I thought it was our last game. Citizen Sleeper, anyway. I'm really glad we did that, because that was such a nice one. No, yeah, it was. It was Citizen Sleeper. What a game. Wow. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, the irony is, since we both kind of agreed to wrap it up for good, or at least indefinitely, there's been quite a few games that I've spotted mm. and been like, oh, that would be a good one to do on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe what we'll do is, off the record, off the books, without making any commitments yeah. to our listeners, we'll just record a couple and down the line suddenly have special edition of Pixel Vision. Yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that as well. 
yeah, I think I'd like that as well. And we've discussed some other projects yeah. that may or may not yeah. come to light, so... We have. We have indeed. But for now, for an interminable game <laughs> to a <laughs> sadly not interminable podcast... It's goodbye and we won't see you next time. Maybe we should do a... It's goodbye from me. <laughs> it's goodbye from me. <laughs> Isn't that the university challenge? It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Yeah, but I mean, which one of us is Jeremy Paxman in this role play? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's... Well, it's going to be Amor Rajan now, isn't it? All right. It? Uh, well, it's, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. They're not going to be able to see you wave now, though. But... No, but that's all right. We'll meet again Don't know where Don't know when But I know we'll meet again some sunny day